looking at? Incoming transmission from Podfleet Command on screen. Welcome to the sixth episode of Trek Geeks Picard Live. My name is Barry DeFord, and I will be your inner light of remembrance while we look back at what the episode six of Star Trek Picard titled The Impossible Box. If the internet drops, we do have my EBH, Dan Garcia, here to help. Uh, he is from Trek Geeks Game Night, so check him out there. And this broadcast is streaming live on YouTube and Facebook, and now also on trekgeeks.com. Picard Live is a is proud to have Fansets as our yeah, as our presenting sponsor, Live TV, everyone. We'll have some more information about them later, including a special discount code just for viewers on this broadcast. One other thing I noticed was in the other previous episodes, I was slouching a lot on this live show, so I've raised my mic. However, I'm afraid it might make me looks like a, look like a hamster going for its water, so we'll just have to see how that goes. But first of all, let's get started with our spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. This talk about specific character developments and plot points in episode six of Star Trek Picard. So there will be spoilers. If you have not seen The Impossible Box, please stop now so that you don't have anything ruined for you. So I think at start, we will reorient ourselves to meet the man we haven't met in over 20 years in our first segment, known as the Picard Maneuver. So on the Picard Maneuver, there are brand new things that uh, happen every single episode. And just like Picard would get out of his captain's chair and straighten things out, we're going to straighten out this episode a little bit with just some pieces and points that will give us a, uh, a good sort of idea of what exactly went down? Definitely not the uh, same level of violence this time around, though uh, Elnor definitely gets his, uh, his ninja nun on quite nicely. So dreams and flashbacks are the first piece that figure very heavily in this episode. Of course, uh, it makes you wonder if androids do truly dream of electric sheep. Uh, but I will say that, Dad's that Dad, the uh, father of Dodge and Soji, has a lot of orchids in it. And I believe Dodge and Soji are types of orchid. So interesting that uh, we have those little pieces there. And then there's also an interesting uh, little point at the beginning of the episode where there is a one of those wooden doll for drawing art and then a hand. Uh, on her bedside table, and there's a picture of Dodge and Mumbot. Uh, I think that was really good foreshadowing just at the very beginning of the episode. We also see Narek and his sister are juxtaposed well. Breaking or solving the puzzle gets the prize in a lot of cases. Makes me start thinking that the Jadvash and the Talshiar really are sort of hard to tell where one blurs in and one blurs out. Um, maybe it's sort of that difference between the FBI and the CIA to outsiders. Who knows? But in this case, I'm pretty sure everyone, everyone is truly hiding something, aren't they? There is chatter between Narek and Dodge about his true name. Narek questions on the nature of the dreams, and he puts up an interesting diagnostic for his sister on how to figure out these dreams. Really, really like the dialogue between uh, brother and sister here as well. Drati is locking down some alibis and making mistakes with Rios. So I just have to say that you know, Jurati starts off by talking about Maddox's death, and I don't really feel like she is covering things up very well. But I'm not really buying it. We'll see how it goes. Um, Rios is something of a sexy soccer guy, um, and he ends up getting quite frisky with the remorseful Jurati. I guess they signaled, um, I guess they signaled that maybe a little bit earlier on that they would be a romantic interest. I'm not sure how he's going to feel when eventually I'm sure Jurati is going to be uh, uh, seen for what she's actually doing. And I mean, in this case, I think the doctor is self-destructing in a lot of ways. She is beset by grief and uh, it's really hard to say who exactly or how exactly one's going to act. It's interesting, though, how she describes space, much more uh, how she would maybe describe herself. And Rios likes space, so I guess uh, she's ideal. Is Rios a hologram? I'm just having a real hard time with that, but we'll keep going. 
Soji is, is basically Narek's puzzle in this episode, and I do like that uh, that connection that they make. Uh, he does a fine job of it. He likes puzzles, and it seems to want uh, them around all of the time. He almost sort of seems to have a bit of a reverence for them. It says something interesting that we will touch on with our guest tonight as well. Using absolute candor gets them on the cube. Uh, more puzzles abound there, of course. The, the uh, artifact is, an, is in and of itself sort of a puzzle. Uh, Picard's method is a bit of a softer approach than Narek's, uh, but uh, not for nefarious reasons. We also get to see Rios and Raffi. A lot of regret and remorse happening there. The pain that uh, Raffi feels over her son is exceptionally saddening. And the fact that she's holding on is... It's tough. It hits close to home, and it's very well acted. Um, I do have to say that um, there's an interesting point where uh, Rios says something when he takes uh, her bottle away. He says, no one gets all of it right, Raf. And uh, that's something that I need to remind myself a lot of, uh, a lot of the times. Hugh and Picard are undoing assimilation together, and I think that's pretty great. I'm extremely added they added the parts that explain to people Trek uh, new to Trek. So all of our new Trek watchers, uh, maybe there are some watching this episode or listening to the podcast later. Uh, welcome to Trek. And uh, Picard really doesn't like the Borg, and I'm glad they told you why. Uh, <laughs> it's handled really well, especially the superimposition of his face on Locutus's face. That was uh, that was something else. Um, we also see the reclamation project appears to be something of an independent thing via treaty. Narek cracks his Soji puzzle and uh, sorry, he cracks his puzzle and Soji activates. I guess in both cases that works. There's a lot of connection to human cultures and the interpretation of dreams. I would be interested to know which particular cultures inspired the sort of the Romulan mirror, not mirror, but the uh, Romulan walkway that's made of uh, made of wood that they can sort of look into their dreams. It does sort of remind me of uh, different meditative techniques that one can take to just sort of get into a mindset where you can maybe even lucid dream. And please, my friends, choose to live. Uh, that's my horrible, horrible Aussie accent. Of course, we had an actual Australian, uh, Jamie McGregor, last week, and uh, wonderful that he came uh, and gave us what an Australian actually sounds like, not me. It's a great ending and a cliffhanger. I'm still not sure where to place Hugh, though I feel he was genuinely happy to see Picard. They both see one another as friendly faces. And I think Elnor shares an innocence that Hugh had many years ago. Look at all those wonderful and beautiful comments. There's Jamie giving me a uh, sad face. Uh <laughs> Yes, uh, just for everyone else, a quick Australian thing, and we'll actually have, uh, I'm going to introduce my guest in a second as well, uh, and I can have him give it a shot uh, for you all, but there is a way to sound like an Australian and not use an Australian accent, but uh, that's aside the point, I think it's time we move over to no pips, no problem, and we will uh, introduce our guest, have a look at all of the things you guys were having to say while I was nattering off all my points. But uh, I think it's time to invite a friendly face. He is from the YouTube channel Kurtrats Productions, and he is the co-host on Trek FM's Literary Treks. The latest episode of Literary Treks has Dayton Ward on to talk about his new book, Kirk Fu. And that's pretty awesome. So joining me is Mr. Dan Gunther. How you doing, Dan? Hey, Barry. Happy to be here. Uh, really great. excited you asked me to come on the show. <laughs> yeah, no, it's awesome. And uh, again, the entertaining part is Dan and I live down the street from each other. So that's pretty fun, too. So, Dan, <laughs> do you want to sound like an Australian? Oh, man. OK. <clears throat> All right. Just say with no accent whatsoever, rise up lights a little bit fast, like lights, like to rise up lights. Just rise up it. lights. Just say it a little bit faster. Rise up lights. You just said razor blades in an Australian accent. Oh, I like that. I like that. Doesn't yes. not quite as cool as uh, please, my friends choose to live. But okay, you said that way better than I did. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I had a, I had an Australian friend for many years, and he coached me really well. Um, I found the keyword was petrol. I had to learn how to say that, and then I added. Okay. okay. Well, we have an Australian watching, so I hope he liked it. And if he didn't, yeah, then, I, you know. I can't pass. But yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, you you got a uh, you got an applause. So uh, I'm out of the I'm out of the running. Well, anyways, I, I'm uh, I'm thinking we we hit uh, no pips, no problem. You've seen the uh, the pieces of all of this, uh, and I want to start with oh the humanity, uh, John Delarco. I love him. I don't mm -hmm. know about you. <laughs> Absolutely. I have followed him on Twitter for years, long before we knew he was coming back as Hugh. So 
Uh, great guy. Oh uh, yeah. It, it, everything, everyone I know is talking about him and, and, and stuff like that. And I know it's nostalgia. I know it's that whole yada, yada, yada. Right. But when Picard says, I'll take a friendly face and they just hug each other. I'm just like, me, me too. And, and oh. you're a friendly face and it's wonderful to see you too. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. No, that moment got me right in the feels as well to use a overused cliche, but, uh, yeah, no, it was. I had you seen on Twitter the kind of story behind that hug at all? Yeah, the something. It wasn't. It wasn't written in at all. But but yeah. John was like, I think we're gonna have to hug. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, he said he hasn't seen his father. His father passed away uh, seventeen years ago, and he was imagining what it would be like to greet his father. And that was kind of where that moment came from, which was just <sighs> wow. <laughs> that um. That hits me right in the Raffi feels. I mean, we're going to talk about her later because speaking mm-hmm. of not seeing one's children or parents for an extreme period, ugh, ah, I can't think of that. Um, man. Anyways, so and there's a. I found that um, something that uh, that he said, and I want to kind of talk about this. He says a new name can be a first step to a new identity, and mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, John John is is definitely a uh, a strong uh, fighter for for LGBT rights, of course. Um, you know, and and he is definitely not trans himself, but uh, you know, it does strike me as almost a comment on trans rights, or you know, XBs. There's kind of like a non-binary feel to that, um, mm-hmm. and I mean, again, this is coming from a, a, like a sit-het dude who just is kind of looking at all of this and and trying to be as supportive and 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 whatnot as possible. Um, but it, it's I don't know. There's something about the d- deserving of dignity that everyone can be afforded, right? Absolutely, yeah. The I mean the all the kind of in between places, right. Where uh, we have all these very clear delineated columns and and boxes we've put people into. And when people don't fit in that exact column, you know, taking ownership of that and uh, giving themselves a new name and claiming that identity. I I feel that really strongly. And I, I have to admit again, just not coming from that perspective, it hadn't occurred to me watching the episode, but in retrospect, it fits perfectly. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I also kind of like in this episode, I don't know if you noticed that um, now that Picard's pips are off, um, the tables have sort of term, turned. Uh, Hugh seems to be more supportive of Picard, right? Like the whole thing is, is Picard is kind of on the back heel uh, the entire time walking on the artifact. I mean, obviously the last time he was on a cube, things weren't going very well. And the last time he directly encountered the Borg in, you know, most people's Trek experience, uh, just watching the movies and the, the TV show was, was in first contact. And I mean, he lost a lot of crew and almost lost his future uh, in, in general. So I don't know. I, I really liked how um, Hughes sort of, sort of guided him through you know, kind of like the 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 former student meeting the master again. Mm-hmm, definitely, and I mean, I, I think it can't really be overstated how different a place Picard is in. And I mean, you know, that's that's the whole section of your show is dedicated to that. the The fact that he's been on his vineyard, isolated, alone for fourteen years. I think we sometimes kind of forget that, and he has not been that strong presence on the bridge of a starship since then. You know, this is a lot to have happen to someone who is very much out of out of step with that life at the moment. So yeah, uh, to see that turn around and finally a friendly face. I mean, we had Zani and the the Koat Milat. But for the most part, the people he's been encountering have been, you know, not on the on the side of the angels, as the as the hologram would say. So, you know, it's good to see finally another friendly face. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and just kind of keeping on on. Uh, well, not really keeping on friendly faces in this sense, but uh, just in terms of what Picard has has faced. I, I do think of Picard sort of as the puzzle master. Uh, and I think that's something, uh, you know, you're talking a bit about uh, um how things kind of connect and stuff. There's a bit of a juxtaposition in Narek and Picard's handling. I find uh, Picard solves puzzles through trust and teamwork. And then Narek, Narek has to sort of off. Yeah. He, he ends up, he ends up having to do it alone and therefore must shoulder these repercussions a lot better. And I mean, I, I, I kind of also think that 
Picard tried to shoulder the Romulan um, evacuation alone afterward and look where it got him too, right? Is there is something a bit about, uh, and I don't want to sound like a garbage pail kid or something like that, but like working together means we'll always do better or something like that. I don't know mm -hmm. what your thoughts are on, on Picard sort of being sort of a puzzle master himself. Definitely. And I, you know, that's, that's who Picard has always been. I mean, back in the early days of Kirk versus Picard, P Kirk was the cowboy who kind of took charge and, you know, the crew followed behind him. But Picard was always that one who on the bridge asked for suggestions. And it was actually a couple episodes ago where they're trying to get down to the planet Vashti. And I, it's one of my favorite moments. It's very small, but he looks at the screen, looks at the people on the bridge and says, suggestions. Right. And I was just like, I flashed back to like, you know, decompress the main shuttle bay, the explosive. Re no, anyway, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it's great to see uh, Picard uses the resources and the people around him uh, to solve those problems in a way that a lot of other people wouldn't, even a lot of other Starfleet people wouldn't. No, absolutely not. And and I think that's the best part, right? I mean, Janeway's approach would have would be completely different from from Picard's uh, juxtaposed to to Burnham or or Cisco or, or anyone else, right? I mean, each each mm -hmm. captain, each each crew member is going to have a different approach. And uh, yeah, Picard is definitely the parts of him that are kind of immutable have remained and the parts of him that are definitely changeable and you can see that change in a character um definitely are are, are quite there like he's a lot more patient with children that's for darn sure um mm -hmm. if he's willing to take kind of elnor on as something of a surrogate for a period of time obviously uh, since, since disaster things have changed quite nicely um definitely but, <laughs> but the other thing i wanted to oops i've opened a thing instead of opening the right thing there we go just a minute trying to quit Skype right now. It opened instead of the thing I wanted to open. There we are. Hate when that happens. <laughs> Live television, folks. I want to talk to you a little bit about um, the Hegelian dialectic. Are you familiar with Hegel? I did a quick <laughs> Google when I was looking at your notes to kind of refresh my memory. I had heard of it, but it is not something I'm schooled in for sure. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. So I am also a, a social studies teacher. Uh, and so I have a bit, a bit of time to, to look at sort of different ways of, of understanding um, sort of human behavior and the way we, we look at truth and everything. And so basically I'm going to throw this at you you're going to get to talk about it. We're going to look at comments from everyone. And if anyone wants to jump in on the Hegelian dialectic too, please, by all means. So Maddox made Dodge and Soji to find the truth about the band, right? I guess, I guess Gerardi knew, knew that of some, in some way, but mm -hmm. the answer isn't what we want necessarily. Right. As she sort of says to Maddox as she's killing him, right? You don't want, if you knew what I knew. And yes, Gerardi, why send Soji to the artifact? Is there some kind of Borg connection? Um, there must be somehow, and I'm interested to find that out. But speaking of dreaming and, and stuff, in terms of Soji specifically, she has an auto heuristic. And Nurek says that, and it's bumping up against the contradiction of her actual artificial nature. That is Hegelian. Um, Narek explains the thesis, antithesis, and synthesis of what Hegel says. Um, basically, that there's an idea, there is a counter idea, and then together they kind of cram and they synthesize into something. But if you kind of continue through the Hegelian dialectic, according to a guy named Franz Fanon, who wrote a book called Wretched of the Earth, he says there is a point at which methods devour themselves. And that's the true he Hegelian paradigm. It isn't synthesis antithesis or sorry synthesis or, ugh, i've gone it backwards thesis antithesis <laughs> synthesis it's actually thesis antithesis working towards a synthesis until everything unravels right that that things just unravel all logic flows itself into a state of unraveling and i think that's just as a quick aside i think that's important for the quat milat as they can get through this by openly addressing the contradiction because that's the only way you can understand contradiction and mm -hmm. so Soji is having these dreams and she is trying to synthesize something that is a thesis and an antithesis, right? I am a person. I am not a person kind of thing. And that, that auto heuristic bumping up the bumping up against the contradiction of her artificial nature is actually the Hegelian dialectic moving through. And uh, what Narek does is all he does is just, push her a little bit further into the contradiction and she mm -hmm. unravels. What do you think? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> applying the, the philosophical 
part of it to that. That's it's kind of very similar to a discussion that we had about her, and and it it was, yeah, Narek is basically like he's just giving her a little bit and her brain is devouring that and trying to work it in and it devours uh, itself. Exactly. And it, it's this, it's, it's an Ouroboros just devouring yeah. itself basically um, in the end. And it, it's incredible. Like I, I um, I don't know how to put this because I I've been enjoying generally the series up to this point but this episode was really the first time that i was really engaged with what was happening with narek and soji up to now i was kind of like eh. but this episode like that interplay and that back and forth and him just kind of luring her into his web just bit by bit giving her a little bit and uh it was it was incredibly well done and he's also, though, kind of playing the victim. I think he's sort of mm-hmm. toying with his sister a bit too. I think yes, he's. I think, I think he's so. got her number as well, which makes him even eviler in a lot of cases. And again, I, I really, I mean, I don't know if they actually did um, think about like let's add the Hegelian dialectic to this. But I mean, it is a, it's an aspect of human nature. So I'm going to start popping up some comments, and we can kind of go from there. For sure. Um, yeah. So. First of all, punk rock zoologist, I haven't seen you before, at least with that avatar. So welcome to the show. And that's what I watch Star Trek for is what punk rock zoologist says. I love getting philosophical. And uh, yeah, same here. Uh, and here. to watch more <laughs> more philosophical stuff, you can check out uh, Paula Treks, the other show on the Trek Geeks Network that I'm on, where we pontificate with my dear friend Shashankavaru. Um, and uh, actually, we've gone on literary treks a few times, too. And I remember <laughs> all you said was these guys came to talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that was great. Uh, great discussion. So yeah. I'm going to yep. zoom up to the top here and I'm going to pop down here and just see if there's a b- bunch of people uh, talking. It says uh, legacy Trek. Nice to see y'all. Um, Elnor wasn't buying what Ayuati uh, was selling regarding Maddox. No, absolutely not. Um, Brian Yates comes on. That makes two characters self-destructing. The emergency psych hologram would be kept busy. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For sure. Be- <laughs> Becky Back, nice to see you. Uh, I hated how Soji and Dodge have been treated. Love the scenes between Picard and Hugh. You know, I I would agree with that. That that um, Soji and Dodge have not been treated very well. I would also argue Rafi hasn't been treated very well. But um, I feel like fortunes are going to change. What do you think, Dan? I think so for sure. Like we've seen Soji, like Dodge, we had very little of her and was gotten rid of very quickly. Soji has not had a lot of agency up until now. And I think in this next episode, just based on the preview, I don't know if people are okay with me talking about previews of stuff to come, but you know, I don't think she's going to take Picard directly at his word. Like he, she's kind of done just trusting somebody Picard's going to have to prove that he's on her side here. And I think she's going to be taking charge of, of making sure that the choices she makes are the choices she makes. That's an extremely good point because yeah, I mean, I guess in the, in the immediacy of that final scene, I forgot to mention that the only anchor that she has in terms of a sort of loving, intimate connection is uh, actually a piece of crap. So mm-hmm. yeah, no, that, that is a really good point. Huh. Aren, nice to see you. Elnor is going to get wrecked. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's really, I mean, unless he starts defect, uh, like, um deflecting disruptor blasts with his uh with his sword or hugh's got something up his sleeve i am really not sure how he's gonna make it out of that one yeah because i think what hugh has in his hand is a flashlight so (laughs) i don't think this is going anywhere really good yeah that said and i'm just thinking about this right now what if hugh can still adapt to disruptor fire Ooh, if I was if I was an unassimilated Borg, I'd be like, can I keep that? I just want to keep that. I just want to be able to still adapt. Yeah. And now that you mention it, and I hadn't thought of this before, like that, that kind of vest that he's wearing has the kind of mechanical look to it. So, hmm. Uh, well, and I mean, the way he walks around too, I've said this about John DeLarco as well. He even like, he remembered how he walked. Like he's not yes. in a, in a swimsuit anymore. Like that's great. He doesn't have <laughs> tubes coming out of him everywhere, but he still remembers and he still kind of does the floppy foot Borg walk. And I love it. Mm-hmm. Definitely the very stiff upper torso and all yeah. of that. 
Um, see so here, same thing with seven from the previous episode. They both faded to black on the rampage. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, Elnor and um, and seven faded to black on the <laughs> rampaging out. That's great. Let's see here. Ah, Rand also kind of counterpunches that by saying like it, it it's too much of a trope for him to live after facing overwhelming odds. I mean that is kind of his mo, right? They they tie they bind their sword to a lost cause. So I don't know. I mean, I would think that um, there's got to be something catcher related to this whole absolute candor thing as well. I'm not sure if, hmm. if that's anything you think. Interesting. I hadn't thought of that, but perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see here. I'm going to hop down a bit to the bottom. Yeah. If Elnor dies, we riot. Uh, Punk Rock Zoologist says. Yeah, I, I would agree. I'm not uh, not excited about that idea. Um, someone else had mentioned um, that I got kind of deep. Yeah, here we are. Um, Kirk Schwinn. Thank you. Holy crap. That was deep. Um, <laughs> well, that's what happens when you live, eat, sleep, dr- you know, dream. Uh, my, not not. I've never found myself as a wooden doll or anything, but I definitely have dreamt that I've literally been on the bridge of the Enterprise. And when I woke up, I was very upset. Oh, yes. I have we all been there. I feel like it. Yeah. <laughs> So here's one I want you to, I, I want you to, this one that I want to see. So Jamie, he says, I wonder why exactly Maddox created Dodge and Soji, not knowing that they were synths. Um, that was necessary for data lore. Um, why was that necessary for the mission? So he's saying that like that he, not that he didn't know, but that, you know, to make them so like more human than human kind of deal. Mm-hmm. What do you think of that? Do you think he's got some method to that? It's interesting because you know, there is the ban and that sort of thing. And so I'm wondering if um, he wasn't confident in their ability to cover up that fact, if they were aware of it. Mm. So knowing that their exposure, uh, not like data and lore weren't illegal <laughs> to exist yeah. at the time. And now since are, so I don't know, it might've been some calculus on his part to say that if they know that they're, they're androids that could more easily get out, but yeah, I'm not sure. Well, I'm uh, I'm interested to see where that's going to wind up. I think we're gonna we're gonna end up getting some some good twists to come yet. But uh, as we twist out of the Picard maneuver, I think we can uh, pop into our fan sets uh, little conversation here. Because before we continue on to our next segment, I'm always happy to take a brief moment to talk to you about our sponsors. Trek friends, Trek family at Fansets. There are many ways to express your fandom, but if you're looking for artistry, care and attention to detail, and a friendly down-to-earth customer service, you're not going to find it anywhere else than the fine people at uh, at Fansets. Now, Dan, I know you have wandered the uh, the the trade show uh, at um, uh, STLV. Are you a Fansets fellow yourself? I have a few. I, I don't have the biggest collection in the world, but uh, I've won a few and I've definitely purchased more than a few. So Right. Yeah. Yeah, you won, you won once. I remember the, I remember <laughs> you winning that. I was very proud. That was really cool. Yeah, they're beautiful. Like I just I have a few like of the little crew. Uh I have a couple of the ships and uh they're just the the detail that gets put into them in such a I don't want to say a limited medium, but you know, to still have that much detail and be so small and ah, they're so cool. Yeah, yeah. no, absolutely. So there's a bunch of new Picard pins coming as well. You're not only going to see micro characters for Soji, Dr. Gerardi, Rafi, Picard, Rios. Um, we're also going to, they're also going to be doing those episode pins like they did on discovery uh, as well. Um, so like check them out there's going to be a lot of stuff showing up soon so follow them on twitter check them out on facebook check out their webpage. um and if you're not in i mean if you know people who don't necessarily like like star trek as much i mean they've got other stuff uh, from alien to dc and uh, if you are interested in checking them out and you decide to make a purchase uh, as a picard uh live listener you get a 15 percent discount if you jump onto um uh, fansets website on your uh checkout cart um during season one so once season one is over this thing stops working but if you enter picard live that's all caps p-i-c-a-r-d-l-i-v-e uh, you'll get a 15 percent discount at checkout so fansets their fins their their pins have character and we thank fansets for being the presenting sponsor for the trek geeks network i think it's time we hit on to looking into a bit of the future at the stargazer what do you say 
Excellent. I'm all for it. <laughs> so I like to say that the Stargazer looks like a Chicago deep dish pizza in space. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> so first of all, I just, I'm really worried that he was going to be a bad guy in the end. Are you thinking that that could be a thing? I hadn't thought of that. Uh, I was reading through your notes here and I, I'm curious as to what you're seeing that I'm not. And I'm, I'm trepidatious about what you're seeing because I don't want to think this either because uh, I love Hugh. He's been so great so far. Um, yeah, I don't know. He's so willing to help. And, and I know like he must like, he is, he must be so happy to see Picard. And I don't think that that was put on at all, but mm -hmm. I just worry that like something about the agreement he's made with the Romulans is, is where I'm worried he might spin around or something like that. And I don't know, maybe not, but I mean, wasn't he hooked up with, with lore there for a while too? Like he, he has made some sort of iffy choices in the past and that does kind of concern me. Hmm. That's true. Yeah. That's interesting. You say that about the Romulan thing. My mind, as soon as you said that kind of flashed to a Lando Calrissian type situation where the Romulans are exerting influence and Darth Vader was exerting influence on cloud city and he had yeah. to betray his friends and Oh no. Now, now I am scared. See, <laughs> yep, no, well, got you and there's got to be, there's got to be something up with those final XB Romulans, right? They, mm -hmm. they all got like some kind of like little weird algorithm in the system or something like part of me again, and this is me just really stargazing here. What if there was some kind of legitimate threat from the Borg because of the destruction of Romulus? Okay. So just hear me out. This is a big stargazer question. So listeners listen up. Comment if you've got, to, if you're listening live, what if in some way, shape or form, the Romulans realized that they now faced an existential threat from the Borg? They're the closest to the Borg. If you look at the galactic geography of things, right? They just lost their capital. They're spinning into disarray. What a perfect time to be assimilated, right? I mean, they could hold off the Borg, I'm sure, over a long period of time. So what if they came up with an algorithm to destroy the Borg like the Federation did 30 years ago. And the only way they could do it is by possibly just getting assimilated, right? Sort of like kamikaze-ish kind of style. I don't know. What do you think? Mm -hmm. Well, there, yeah, there is something to do with that. The Romulan ship, was it the Shaynor? Yes. And like something happened when they assimilated that ship that has led to what's happening on the cube now. So there's definitely a big question mark as far as, Romulans and Borg and where the two of them meet here. So yeah, I don't mm. know. It's kind of funny because of all the things in the show, that's kind of one thing that I haven't speculated a lot on because I'm for me, it's just such a big question mark now, but that's an interesting thought and uh, definitely something Trek has played with before. So I could see them going that route. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to, get some comments off this because we ended up talking for a while and I, you know, want to kind of strike while the iron's hot. Uh, Jackie Hackney, nice to see you, uh, says if uh, he, as in Hugh, is a bad guy in the end, then it will only be towards those trying to hurt Picard. Um, I definitely, uh, Kirk, Kirk Schwint, bad Hugh, no way! Um, so that's a thing. Uh, <laughs> Phil, nice to see you. Uh, I don't know if you mean my mug is in my face or my mug is in my teacup. I'm <laughs> guessing it's probably the latter. Uh, I'm, I drink a, a Trek Geek logoed mug uh, and phil huffman uh just brought that up so that's funny punk uh, punk rock zoologist which is now my favorite uh, avatar name uh, <laughs> says yeah we just called the um oh wait that's not it we just called the cabo a cookie with nacelles on the edge so yeah deep dish pizza <laughs> okay i you said something else uh punk rock zoologist here we are i think because we already have gerardi as a sort of double agent i don't think we'll see that with Hugh. i desperately hope you're correct Mm -hmm. that, that's uh, where that i'm is, leaning to i think yeah fair enough um oh yeah jamie mcgregor where does the destroyer fit into my narrative well i mean if that is the case maybe to some degree that algorithm has yeah that that is a, the algorithm that ruins or you know those those romulans who ruined the borg cube must have some insight into synthetic life that maybe maddox was trying to get soji to figure out um, perhaps I'm not sure that was a, that was a quick one, but, uh, yes, <laughs> Becky, uh, says 
Okay, I'm thinking of the novel The Return, where Romulans and Borg revive Kirk, written by Kirk. What mm -hmm. an interesting way to get the Shatner in there. That would be great. Bill Shatner, <laughs> if you're listening, are you secretly behind the whole thing? Could you imagine if that was like the end of season cliffhanger? Like Discovery, we have the Enterprise showing up. Picard, Kirk steps out of a Borg alcove. Oh, man. <laughs> They could call it Star Trek Pekirk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. that's amazing. That would be uh that would be that would be something. Well, I think let's uh, let's talk a bit about Rafi. Must Rafi suffer? Uh is my big question. Um I'm really hoping she gets a catches a break. I feel mm -hmm. like she's getting more flack coming back than Picard did. And also I feel the same about the boat when both were sort of ousted and went into their pseudo voluntary exile. I I just see Rafi as this this tortured soul with so much talent and ability and her her inability to actualize, right? Her her I mean, if you really think if we want to go back into the Hegelian dialectic, she is kind of beset by her contradictions, right? She's mm -hmm. high achieving but struggles with with these you know, addictions and, and social emotional challenges. Um, you know, the loss of her husband, the loss, you know, the the um, estrangement from her son, the fact she's never going to meet her grandchild, this sort of lost cause mission she's going on with a person who I think was kind of a jerk to her for a very long time. She is holding out hope for a lot of things. And I mean, really, at the end, if she is the one standing triumphant, I will be very happy about this season. I would I would really like to see Rafi get her due because I think um, one thing about dignity is is good people sometimes don't get it right all the time and that is true but um there is certain there are certain levels to that mm -hmm. yeah i've got to think that part of this series part of this season is the redemption of of rafi and like yeah she's got to catch a break for example her belief about the attack on mars i feel like that's going to be justified i think she's going to uh figure it out it's it's going to be revealed of course that that attack was not all that it seemed to be um i think that's probably pretty obvious what exactly it was we still don't quite know yet but i also think that's not going to be the be all and end all of solving her issues i think part of me goes back to um when seven of nine said to picard you know you're out here saving the galaxy and he says i'm saving somebody there might be a bit of the saving the galaxy in there as well i think what picard's doing now is going to have a big repercussions and it's going to be a big galaxy changing thing and rafi's going to be a big part of that so i think she's going to get um some accolades for that and and you know some Oh, I'm, I'm trying to think of the word. I can't think of it, but vindication, gonna, vindication. That is right? exactly the word. Yeah. yeah. She's going to come out on top of that. She's going to be vindicated at least somewhat. And that will help her on her personal journey. Um, Cause yeah, this last episode especially was so difficult to watch with her yeah. backsliding into substance abuse and what she's personally had to give up to in the service of Picard's mission. Like Picard is someone who uses the resources around him. And in this case, it's costing Rafi a lot more than it's costing Picard, which is heartbreaking to see. And I think there's going to be some kind of a reckoning there between Rafi and Picard for what he has cost her. Yeah. And I, as much as I love space dad, I, I, I think he, he does need to sort of get that, that uh like you said sort of an uppance uh to some mm -hmm. degree jackie hackney um gives uh two hearts to to raf and then says uh in the service of the uh in the service of the truth that others refuse to see that is a very very well said way of mm -hmm. uh, of putting that so the other um you know, we, we've we've cut through a lot of uh, a lot of this actually faster than than I would have uh, uh, thought of. And um, there was something I wanted to just quickly bring up, and and we'll just keep this in the stargazer. It's not on the uh, it's not on our, our our list here, but something else that um, makes me think about Picard. And a lot of people got upset with Picard ver in the movie versus Picard in the TV show, where he he wasn't quite as phased by the Borg. And I mean, obviously, we can thank episodic television for the fact that you know 
you have to be able to watch, you know, measure of a man. And then, you know, if you really had to, you know, Aquiel or something and still be able to recognize the characters and their positions and relationships to one another, right? Like nothing of huge note changes. Whereas nowadays things, I mean, you miss an episode and good luck um, mm -hmm. kind of thing. Thank goodness it's all streaming, but to, to kind of put the point on it, he, he mentions that the Borg don't, um, don't grow they they metastasize or something along those lines he, he mentions this idea that uh, they're they're basically like a cancer and a lot of people have said you know like his whole i will make them you know like that kind of thing that that he is so angry now um you know the way trauma works and i mean i'm not trying to 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 justify any kind of retcon necessarily i'm just sort of thinking of this trying to be as logical and full of as much absolute candor as possible trauma works in a weird way and mm -hmm. sometimes you can be okay with something after it's happened and then be really not okay with it later like i've gone through several instances in my life where i just can't get into a pool i almost drowned once and there are times when ugh, it ain't gonna happen there are also times though because my my partner is a very avid swimmer that i will go with her and we'll swim around and have a good time and i'll be fine but there are other times where i just have to not be in the pool and it, i can't tell you when i can't tell you why and i can't tell you what but sometimes i just can't be in the water and it freaks me out and so in in that respect, also with age, I think it kind of gets worse, too. And I don't want to talk about myself aging, but definitely I have found swimming to be more difficult, especially in open water than I ever have in the past. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I mean, this kind of goes back to as well. I think what we were saying about Picard before is like in first contact, he had been on the bridge of a starship and had been in that role and that steady rock for his crew for a long time and was in the thick of it. And in that movie, he still broke down when it came to the Borg. Mm -hmm. Now he's been out of the fight for 14 years. He, he, when he retired to his vineyard thought he would probably never, ever have to think about the Borg again. There was just, they, they weren't going to enter it into it anymore he had no dealings with them. And now suddenly he's on a Borg cube. It should be said for the first time since he was Locutus. Yeah, like, exactly. He, I absolutely bought the trauma and the, the lingering feelings and, and all of the panic that he was having there. Absolutely. 100%. Um, you know, if anything, it was probably truncated a bit for television because mm -hmm. we've got to get him onto his thing. But I, I don't think a normal human being would even be able to be put in that situation again. He'd probably say, okay, that's it. We're packing up and going home. Like right. I can't do this. Yeah. And we've got some, 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 uh, good, good conversation on that as well. Uh, um, Phil brings up Phil Huffman brings up elevators aren't aren't a thing. Yeah, elevators kind of freak me out too. But uh, I could see that for someone who actually had it. So uh, empathy there for sure. Uh, yeah. Jackie Hackney says uh, he was probably very phased by what was happening with the Borg in the series, just not when the camera was rolling. Exactly right. Like we don't know if like on some nights he would just cry himself to sleep. Like we we don't know those things. Yeah. And and I think this adds to it. And I think it adds more texture to his character right i mean picard is many fragments and of course that fragment motif that exists in the opening credits is so incredibly just in your face right and and yeah he is the sum of all of these parts like i'm sure there are times when he just like thinks about like a day when he was uh, i forget the name of the planet um uh that uh, that was for the for the inner light right where maybe he was Catan, just yeah yeah Catan, right like i'm sure he just thinks like Remember that time in Catan when I laughed so hard milk came out of my nose? Like, I'm sure he just has these moments where he remembers these points. Or um, uh, Famke Jansen's character uh, that one time. Uh, Kamala, when, yeah. Yeah, when he's like, you are the best. This is why I love having you on. Um, <laughs> but but he's I need to there, devote like, my brain to better stuff, but it's all in there. I don't know why. <laughs> dude, no way. Um, but but yeah, like when, when he's thinking of Kamala and like there are probably moments where he's like, I really loved her. And I think she really loved me. Or maybe he thinks of, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Vash as well, right? Where he's like, mm -hmm. hmm, I wonder if I changed my life. Like Picard is a man of many parts. So, yeah. yeah. I, I kind of love on the part of fandom, and I'm guilty of this sometimes too, but, you know, an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation could take place over the course of three, four weeks, say, or, or, or a week or a day or whatever. We see 44 minutes of that. 
And that's spread out over all the, these characters. And we feel like we know everything about all of these people all the time. We really don't. Like, we've seen really a very small part of their lives when it comes down to it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Dan Ireland says, yep, he's the kind of guy to always put on a brave face and maintain his professionalism. Absolutely. Like, I mean, there are those of us who have to work in certain jobs where we have to do something that we, you know, that sucks, or we have to be a part of something or have to learn or know something that just sucks. And then we have to like walk out and talk to people and and try not to think (laughs) about it and stuff like that. So yeah, I mean, this is something that a lot of people face and Picard being the sum of his parts is, uh, is going to be, he's going to react to stuff in, in certain ways. Right. Um, Jackie Hackney says, and then being on bo- on the Borg ship and hearing the name Locutus being called out. Yeah, the dude, hey Locutus, <laughs> remember when we <laughs> when we were on Submatrix one five seven three 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 one seven five five five? That was the funniest. Oh, man. We were uh, we were talking about this on the live show that I do on Fridays, and somebody in the comments said Phil. yeah right i had to watch groundhog day yesterday because of that comment just fyi (laughs) or like oceans 11 uh the one guy uh the 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 2000 and like one or 2002 oceans 11 when the guy's like he recognizes in the casino and he's like i do not know you um anyways (laughs) let's see here um becky 20 tenable i finally got your name right um I love how Picard eventually learns that ex-Borgs are victims. That realization yes. came a little quickly, but it was great. Yes, absolutely. They are very much victims, right? Any, I mean, this is the thing is I don't, I'd still agree with what they chose to do on iBorg, right? Because existence and sentience are difficult. And I don't know if killing necessarily is the best way. I mean, even in, even in first contact, you know, there were, there you know was a necessity to destroy but restraint was still somewhat possible Ah, they are still victims they are they have been taken against their will to do something that had they have been given the choice they wouldn't have victim Mm -hmm. i mean that's exactly what it is right their their personal their personal sense has been taken away I feel like you could really do a parallel with like child soldiers or something like that like i feel like that story could absolutely be written in the star trek universe yeah you're, you're absolutely right um man um punk rock zoologist says i agree with becky twana tenable um picard recognizing the xbs as victims was a beautiful piece uh, of growth mm-hmm. and definitely um you know on the other side of it i know i mentioned earlier that change you know new names and stuff like that and xbs and everything um the idea of being a victim or being sort of the outcast in a in a society i mean uh, hugh even mentions that and again i can't help but but think of victimization of trans women especially uh trans women of color um the idea that that for such a long time right i mean pride in of itself is a um it's a protest it's not simply just one specific thing i mean you think back to stuff like stonewall and, and stuff i mean they they fought and there were a lot of victims in that respect so um i do have to say there's got to be and i mean this show has been bonk bonk on the head for politics and that's why i love it um yeah, that's definitely something that I kind of have no trail off for, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, can't, I can't add anything to that because nope. yeah, that's, that's exactly the feeling that I get from the show too, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think it's, uh, I think I'm going to move into uh, some supplementals. So this is where we're going to just talk about extra stuff that doesn't, didn't necessarily fit into the episodes. Um Maybe there's some online chatter worth uh, worth mentioning that that the uh, commenters have seen on the Twitters or, or somewhere else that they want to bring up uh, anything that's been happening with other shows, perhaps um, uh, to sort of subtly bring that up too. I typically don't watch shows before I watch before I record this one to try to keep it as fresh as possible. Um, but um, let's just see what's uh, what's happening in the uh, in the sorry the segment we call supplementals. So first of all, I think there is a bit of subtle retconning that's taken place. Um, I've never really fully personally liked the concept of the board queen. I liked it better when they were just sort of that kind of anarchic kind of style. I mean, the board queen kind of makes them more like bees uh, to me. But um, I mean, biologically, it makes sense because bees are actually a real thing that exists um, in that respect. So 
here we are. Um, maybe I'm superimposing my own ideas, but uh, did you like the Queen edition when she when she came? I was never a big fan of of that concept. I get why she was added, you know, to give the antagonist uh, personification in First Contact and that kind of thing. But there's just something about. For example, that scene in Best of Both Worlds where the two Borg are holding Picard and he's just talking to the collective. And it's just this implacable voice mm -hmm. that cannot be swayed. You know, we would rather die. Death is irrelevant. You will be like, it's just yeah. like, wow. And, you know, to have the Borg Queen kind of like, you know, being all human-like and all that kind of stuff. I get why, but I was never the biggest fan of her either. Yeah. As like, a concept, I should say. Yeah. And I mean, I, at that point, I was under the understanding that there was one queen. But now, I mean, there there's the idea that there are several and that actually they sort of serve um, not as intensive of a function. They're sort of like a maybe like a coalescence of collective um of collective action and, and stuff like that. And in moments where say even, you know, Yocto seconds are important. I'm sure an individual can still make a faster choice than an entire collective on, on something. So I could see, you know, perhaps the diminishing of, you know, cube autonomy or a cube, a cube's ability to sort of act in certain ways, if necessarily the queen needs, you know, action to be taken in a much more decisive manner. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe bringing order to chaos as she would say <laughs> right <laughs> uh chris hackney says i think they were supposed to be thought of like bees why else refer to the rank and file borg as drones yes absolutely no that that is again also a good point that they are in fact also called drones um and also bees use six-sided uh shapes and borg cubes use eight-sided shapes so hmm. there we go <laughs> hadn't thought of that yeah well we answered that never mind never talk about it again anyone ever <laughs> <I'm just> <laughs> <kidding>. <laughs> yeah and i mean there's there's all that language like the hive mind and that kind of thing so i could see how it could very quickly and easily conform to that concept a bit so mm -hmm. makes sense becky twenty tenable says maybe the borg structure evolved to be more perfect yeah maybe when when picard was put up in best of uh or not best of both worlds in um uh, all good things they didn't need a queen yet and then they sort of changed that later i mean that's the other thing is we have to understand that just like star trek and the federation and everything else the borg aren't static in fact i mm -hmm. would say they are probably the most dynamic races you know possible i mean Hugh even mentions that uh, uh, a species a species assimilation he says oh yeah you weren't here for this um kind of thing and he says yeah we did this with species so and so uh, and one of the greatest deep cut voyager <laughs> references yeah ever. yeah i um i i can't say i even caught that reference until i looked at the fun facts about the episode so <laughs> <laughs> so this one this one uh this question uh, i have here in my supplemental number two is uh are the comics needed and i'm, I'm asking this not to pick a fight with my brother shashank but um <laughs> i worry sometimes that different different elements of of shows like this, especially when they are cramming so much content into an episode. I mean, that episode, just just this last one, and then of course Stardust City Rag. I mean, it takes a long time to cut through all of the pieces, um, and I worry. I worry sometimes they 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 work more kind of like a mop um, to kind of catch up and um, and sort of tie in uh, and and just sort of use time and energy um, to 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 kind of get people to understand the story a little bit more but not everyone engages with it so you end up with these kind of almost like strata of knowledge and i i also i mean i love the comics and i read them and there's a whole bunch right there <laughs> and uh, <laughs> of course they're needed i use them and read them all of the time and i love them to death but i wonder sometimes if maybe we could just have more episodes of picard hmm yeah, I mean, I have a bit of a unique perspective on this, I guess, as as one of the co-hosts of Literary Treks, and we talk about the books and comics. Um, I've never, ever felt that any of the comics or books were necessary reading or required reading to enjoy the show. Um, I do find that they add a little bit of flavor, usually, or, uh, you know, can help 
understand something a little better. But even when it gets to that point, that's a little bit too much. Mm -hmm. I will say the recent tie-in novel, The Last Best Hope by Una McCormick, is as close as Star Trek has ever come to a novel being required reading for a show. I'm not saying it is. You can absolutely enjoy Star Trek Picard without it. However, man, there is a lot in that book. And I kind of do wish it was just three or four more episodes of Picard as much as I love that book. And by the way, yesterday we talked to Una McCormick and recorded our interview for literary treks, which is coming out March 15th. So a little ways down the road, but yeah, we talked about a lot and um, this, this idea came up in that discussion a little bit as well. Yeah. And, and I mean, come on, like, Yes, of course. I love it. Um, I was actually just at uh, the local used bookstore the other day and I was uh, sending texts, I think, to Dan about all of the uh, all of the Star Trek books I found and the fact that I don't have that kind of money. So it was just nice to to get to see it. So, yeah. And, and I mean, Una, uh, Una, is it Una or Una? I forget. Uh, Una. Yeah. Una McCormick. Yeah. Again, uh, very, very sharp prose. I uh, uh, and, and and just gets Picard's tone uh, like his his tone comes out like you can hear sir pat saying what he's saying in mm -hmm. those uh, in those moments so definitely and punk rock zoologist says anything by uh, una mccormick should just be required reading anyway yeah i would agree with that um yep. here here <laughs> becky 20 tenable says uh i listen to uh i listen to reviews just to get the idea about the comics i look forward to leading reading the last best last best last best hope and i agree yeah it's uh it's pretty great so the uh, the last piece of the um, the the sorry the supplementals that I want to kind of go through here is my little bit of fan service to John Delarco. Um, guys had a dynamic career, right? And you said you followed him since the beginning. So, like, yeah, definitely. Like, I remember him in his part in uh, Boy Meets World, sort of briefly. Uh, he's been in Nip Tuck, The Closer. He's he's been in video games, Star Trek video games, uh, and it's laced through so many different kind of genres, right? His and it's funny because his acting is is an art of camouflage in a lot of cases, right? Like you wouldn't necessarily know him to see him because when we see John Delarco, he's got a bunch of crap on his face and we can't tell exactly what he looks like. Um, so I've had I've heard many Star Trek fans be like, "Man, you know, like what happened to him? His hue was amazing." And I'm like, "Check his IMDb. The guy is a workhorse." Uh, like, mm -hmm. and I think I might have a bit of a crush on him, like just 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 tiny bit because he is just like his manner in interviews, his activist nature, his commitment to self-care and self-improvement. Um, yeah. I mean, he's pretty great. And I mean, I love Jerry Ryan in the last episode. Absolutely. Totally wonderful. But every time uh, John DeLorco comes on, I definitely lean in a little bit because he know he, his art is his subtlety is wonderful. Definitely. Um, I actually wrote in the notes uh, regarding your crush on him. I'm not you're, uh, cool. I'm not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> I have long admired uh, just, you know, not even re realizing other shows he's been on or anything like that. Uh, just his personality on Twitter and the stuff he cares about and the stuff he invests his time and energy into. I really admire it. And it's so funny because my fiance and I have been watching boy meets world lately. And I saw this in the notes and I went, what and looked in imdb and he played a character that we watched in an episode like five days ago so probably like just before this last episode of picard and my brain did not connect them and yeah. then of course i'm like of course he was why didn't i see that yeah, yeah he's amazing that was he's, uh he's he is it, it's almost tragically that he when you do something right no one knows you've done anything at all in that kind of sense right like yeah he's he, he hasn't had a lot of title uh parts and because of that he is supporting other people and damn does he support like he is mm -hmm. he's a, a just for for talent and everything like that i'm i'm not usually one to kind of wax lyrical about, about actors necessarily all the time um but uh, maybe i am who knows maybe i'm i'm actually people will jump on and fact check me on that one but uh i just i'm so happy to have him back i think it was an extremely good point uh to uh to just touch on really quick because uh they'd made a really good choice getting him on this show so here, here, i think that sure. is great um let's see here it would be amazing to see hugh and seven of nine in a scene uh, becky 20 tenable says definitely yeah. and uh, and jamie um, oh sorry go ahead 
Sorry, I was just going to say, like, looking online, I guess he and Jerry Ryan have become really good friends. So that mm-hmm. would be nice to see for sure. Sorry. Well, maybe that'll happen. Jamie McGregor says there are there are no small parts, only small actors, eh? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Uh, Jackie Hackney says, I would love if Hugh would be part of the crew. I agree. Also, and I mean, here we are chatting about uh, about different types of uh, uh, comics and novels and everything like that. I mean, I would read a Hugh a Hugh centric novel. Absolutely. I would. Uh, and I would watch, I would watch a Hugh centric series as well, to be perfectly honest. I think he could, yeah, I think he could carry an entire series, but uh, yeah, that is, sure. that is up open for conjecture. So next week on Picard live, um, we'll consider the seventh episode of star Trek Picard titled Nepenthe. And we get, a re- we get the return of the Rikers. What are you thinking about that one? Uh, uh, Dan, are you excited to see, uh, Deanna and uh and well definitely definitely that i'm really looking forward to that reunion even the slivers of it we've seen in trailers and stuff uh seeing those friends come together i think about that one trailer where they're sitting on a bench or something and Riker puts his arm on jean-luc's shoulder and jean-luc just grabs it and like i was just that camaraderie and friendship that they couldn't have on the bridge of the enterprise Mm -hmm. to see them as old friends now outside of Starfleet. I'm just, I'm, I'm getting ready to get a little teary next week for sure. (laughs) So I have to show you something here. Um, This was this year at STLV. I uh, got to see, I got to meet uh, uh, Mr. Frakes and uh, he signed my little, my little USS Titan uh, and, um, I, I'd said, I, I said, uh, Mr. Mr. Frakes, if I, if I take this home and I water it, will it grow into a part on, uh, on Star Trek Picard? And he went, ha 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 ha. We'll see. So <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm excited. And, uh, definitely he was, uh, he was a delightful human being to, uh, just sort of have a quick, you know, what, what felt like, uh, five minutes was, but was probably maybe three and a half seconds. Um, was really great mm-hmm. to chat with him on that. And I, and, you know, I mean, he's been behind the camera of so much Star Trek. I mean, it's not like we haven't seen him. I mean, we've seen his work on Star Trek and all the new stuff that's coming out, but to get him reprising the role, I think, uh, is going to be great. And Marina Sirtis is just, I mean, she's never stopped being Deanna Troy to some degree for me, even like like hearing her talk about Twitter. I mean, we were talking about John Alarco and his activism. Uh, Marina Sirtis is, again, someone who is very principled and uh, very outspoken and is a Tottenham Hotspur fan, which uh, I think she and I chatted about that. Uh, sadly, I supported a different team when I was living in London, and I didn't tell her that. So Ooh, that was probably yeah. why we got along so well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, they're wonderful, wonderful people. Um Jonathan Frakes is just as tall in person as you imagine he would be. He's just an incredible presence. And Marina Sirtis, I actually recently saw, I think it was at the Calgary Expo or the Edmonton Expo last year. I can't remember which, Mm -hmm. but uh, just incredible on stage and full of amazing stories about what it's like to work on Star Trek. And now she's going to have more, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, just going to jump through a few a few pieces here. Uh, Dan Ireland, uh, you know, Picard and Riker reunion is going to be full of feels. Yes. Yeah. No, that's uh, going to be a big thing. And then uh, Punk Rock Zoologist says, I want to see a Fenris Rangers series led by Seven of Nine with an, in an all woman cast like Birds of Prey in space. I, I'd be down for that. I would be yeah. also down for that. And, you know, you know, uh, throw Hugh on as kind of like a, a adjunct character who comes in and out and does stuff. Uh, yeah, I think uh, CBS, if you're listening, um, we have some <laughs> pitches and it's solid gold on this comment uh, channel. Well, I, as I usually do, I keep it to about an hour. So uh, we're going to be uh, finishing off the episode. Dan, it was fantastic having you on. Um, just once again, can you tell people where they can find you? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, so my main YouTube channel is uh, youtube.com slash Productions. I do videos about Star Trek. We also do a live Picard recap show on Fridays, uh, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern. Barry, you are very welcome to come on if you ever want to do that. I guess we only have four left. That's scary. I know. know. Well, this weekend is teacher's convention. So uh, this coming weekend is teacher's convention. So we can probably make it work. (laughs) That 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 would be cool. And then, of course, uh, Literary Treks, Star Trek Books and Comics podcast on the Trek FM network. Just search Literary Treks. You'll find us. And uh, if you're a lover of the books and comics, uh, we'd love to have you listen. 
Well, wonderful. Well, there's many things happening on the Trek Geeks Network, for sure. So in the meantime, uh, in between our show and uh, and our watching Picard and everything else, for more great Star Trek discussion, check out the other podcasts of Trek Geeks Podcast Network, found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and even trekgeeks.com. And uh, we have the latest uh, episode of Rewind, where Haley and Sarah take on Season 1 TNG, The Paddle. <laughs> so... <laughs> they're going to turn that into a see it from a skip it so uh good luck ladies i believe in you because you've actually done really good so far uh on all of that so check them out uh and if you are looking for the audio version only you can attend the live stream if you can but don't worry if you can't you can always download the audio version of this podcast the next day just search for trek geeks picard live on your favorite podcast platform We'd like to thank Fansets, our sponsor, and obviously a shout out to the fine gentlemen at Five Year Mission who have a podcast on the Trek Geeks Network as well. And they also provide the music for the show. So with that, I'll say live long and prosper to everyone. Everyone has been fantastic on the comments. Nice to see you all and uh, looking forward to seeing what the next episode has to hold. Have a good night, Dan. Have a good night, Joel on True. Joel on True. (laughs) 